0: Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Well, welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Mike. And we're here to talk about a West Side Story, starring Ansel Elgort. Ariana DeBose, David Alvarez, Mike Faist, Rita Moreno, and introducing Rachel Zegler. Based on the Broadway classic by author Lawrence, Leonard Bernstein, Stephen Sondheim, and Jerome Robbins with the update. Directed by Steven Spielberg. Mike, first off, welcome back to Filmstrip. Welcome to 2022 with us here. Uh, Do tell folks about all the cool stuff you've got going on on your podcast, Amateur Artours.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jay. Um, I've, you know, I've been a, a guest on uh, your show before. And as a, I guess, a sneak back, this is also going to be recorded for my show as well. It's gonna be really exciting. But, you know, all the listeners, I'm I'm sure there hasn't been anyone that hasn't heard this name yet. But just in case, uh, yeah, Amateur Tours. it's, t- it's mostly a podcast with me and my brother when we can find the time. Um, but we're just two dudes that love movies, talk about anything that we want. There is no theme. There's no, you know, there's, I mean, there's sort of a schedule, but even after tonight, I was like, well, we're going to put this around. We're going to change this around. So we just literally talk about whatever we want. Um, we talk about musicals, talk about uh, dramas. We talk about old movies, talk about new movies. We do a little bit of D&D in there as well. So got a mix of everything for everyone. So, uh, but yeah, that's us. We can, you can find us on iTunes, uh, I think SoundCloud. And as of right now, that's all I know off the top of my head. But hopefully we can change that in 2022.
0: Well, absolutely glad to have you back again always fun to be on your show as well and uh, you know we we had a real fun one there to, to talk about stuff we were getting ready for for the, the first day of the year here so glad to have you help us kick off the beginning of 2022 her, her own film strip because uh, yeah West Side Story you and I Mike have been talking about this one coming out for a while since I think since we did like La La Land back in yeah. you know, 2021 at some point and and then I I drug you in here to do Ready Player One and we are like so spielberg's next movie is this so we got it we got to come around to it um on this one but i'm what i'm curious about is um i want to hear more of your background on west side story but first i'm going to turn to the person that is really the expert of this thing on the show and it's why <laughs> Lindsay is here because as we have talked about before Lindsay has actual like stage credits and knows acting and knows all this stuff and knows west side story pretty well too so i want to hear your background on west side story lens and also what you knew about this movie coming out before it happened
2: uh Well, gosh, where do I start? So I guess in high school was the first time I was really fully exposed to West Side Story and the music from it. We did a lot of music from it when I was in uh, high school choir, actually. So oh. we had a whole like Broadway show type of thing and we weren't a show choir, but that's what we did. So I became familiar with a lot of the music at that point. Um, I'd seen the original West Side Story movie uh, it feels like a million years ago now um, but you know we we got through that and going into this one I mean I've always been a fan of the show, especially as a fan of Shakespearean theater as well and remakes and remake movies of Shakespeare comedies and tragedies will go with Othello Midsummer Night's Dream. I've seen all of them. I like all of them. My cat's name is Puck. Like, so I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm down with all things Shakespeare. So West Side Story being inspired by the great Romeo and Juliet, of course, I delved deep into that. So going into seeing this film, the only thing I had done was I watched the trailer and I read on Thursday. So I saw this uh, the Friday that it came out. So it had only been out for a day, but that Thursday I read a review of it, I think on NPR and got really excited, got a few tidbits about that. So going into it, I was pretty pumped about it, but I didn't know a lot about the actors who were in it. So I stayed as open-minded as I could.
0: Very cool. Mike, what about you? Your background with West Side Story?
1: Oh, yeah. I absolutely love West Side Story. Um, As I'm sitting in my apartment, I have – you guys can kind of see in the video behind me. I have movie posters all throughout uh, my wall and stuff that really means to me. I I have – well, behind me, I have Dawn of the Dead, uh, One of the Cuckoo's Nest 2001. Those are like one of my favorite movies. But I also have like icons. I have Stanley Kubrick. I have Rocky, Johnny Cash. But also in the middle of all of this, I have a frame of the original West Side Story of them dancing down the street. So I absolutely love this musical. It's my – fifth favorite movie, my favorite musical. So I actually had seen West Side Story through Fathom Events on the big screen in 2019. I was in nursing school, and it was like my first end of my first semester. I had a final, my last final, the day before they were showing this. And as the responsible student, I took my mom and saw West Side Story instead. (laughs) And it was awesome. Like, I can't recommend Fathom Events enough. Um, They actually did another screening I guess, in anticipation of this movie, I unfortunately couldn't see it. I got my booster, my COVID booster shot. I was feeling a little under the weather and then I had work. So I was like, I'll drat. but at least I had already seen it, um, on the big screen. So I love West side story. And then hearing of that, uh, <laughs> that Spielberg was remaking this movie. Uh, I've said it on film strip a lot. I just was not really that excited going into this movie. Um, I've already said my piece on Spielberg. Uh, I don't want to retread on uh, uh, and just like get angry again. But um, yeah, I just, I definitely feel like he's like an old man yelling at the sky on a lot of issues. Uh, you can listen to the ready player one. If you want to hear more of like a thorough, um, I guess dissing that I do on Spielberg. That's not saying he's not a talented director. I'm not saying that at all, but it's more his modern pieces are like, inf- are frustrating at, so at, at best i think and just kind of like a letdown because he can do a lot more he just chooses not to i guess a little prelude going into this movie but um so yeah i at the time of this recording i you guys are going to get the fre- i'm saying all fair I, I you i have the freshest take i walked out of the movie theater one hour ago um and i called brian my twin brother where we talked about it a little bit um literally maybe like five minutes before we started recording so i have some jumbled notes. I have my notes from my phone when I was recording. I was one of three people in the movie theater, so I don't think anyone was bothered that I was making notes in the theater. But, yeah, so long, long story short, I love West Side Story. Wasn't huge going into the movie. And uh, and actually, Lindsay, I think my, my, set, my rating is set, but whether I recommend this movie is going to be based off of the conversation with you because I think you can offer some insight that uh, might sway me one way
0: or another. Okay. no pressure.
2: I know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Liz, you got to show everybody, those who you might not be uh, you know, seeing the video of this, your notes are all on your order tickets from the Alamo Drafthouse <laughs> yeah. you saw this in, right? Yeah, so anyone oh, wow. who
2: might be listening, um, I went to see this movie at the Alamo Drafthouse. It is one of those theaters where you can order food and drinks while you're <laughs> watching the movie. Well, I came and I, I went to a showing that had very few people in it. And I was ready to, you know, write all my notes down. And it's one of because you're placing orders while you're watching the movie. They have like these little lights. So I was like, no, it's perfect. I'll be able to have a light to write my notes with. It's already built in there. Well, I forgot my notebook. So I wrote all of my notes on the <laughs> Alamo Draft House <laughs> order. card.
0: <laughs> perfect. <laughs> so,
2: yeah, they're all right here.
0: That is dedication, that is yep. dedication. That Yeah, that is, that is perfect. So, well, I got to tell my background on West Side Story. So you can all think Kevin Anderson and Julia Roberts for me knowing anything about what West Side Story was, knowing it was a thing at all. I somehow missed this as a teenager getting into musicals, things like that. I don't know how, but somehow or another, all of that just, I, I just missed it. But I saw Sleeping with the Enemy. And there's a great scene where Julia Roberts, spoiler alert for this movie, is looking out her new window after she's run away from Patrick Bergen. And Kevin Anderson is in his backyard at his next door house singing the Jets song while he's watering his garden. Sure. And I just thought, what is what is that song? Because I would walk around humming it. You know, once you're a Jet, you know, it just sticks in your head. And I was like, what is that? So I finally looked it up one day back before there was a Google. I had to go and like, research this. I think I asked the theater teacher in high school, like, what is this song that goes like this? And she just laughed at me. "said What's that story? How do you not know that? So I went and checked the LP out of the library. This is also how old I am. And I listened to it and I was like, oh my gosh. And I just, you know, I loved it. I watched the movie. I think I rented it on VHS or, or DVD, or whatever. And, uh, you know, d- much to like my parents and, and uh, particularly my mother and grandmother's surprised that I didn't know what that was. They're like, how did, how did you like come along this far and we didn't show you. This. <laughs> so I, that's how West side story became part of my life was the sleeping with the enemy and Julia Roberts and Kevin Anderson. Um, so, and that's so the weirdest segue I can get into this. So, I knew that this was happening though four or five years ago because Steven Spielberg talked about it and he will talk about that. It took that long to kind of get it all together. And we'll get to Tony Kushner in a minute who, who wrote this adaptation of this script because I'll you got thoughts on him. Um, but I knew this was coming at some point. And then when he announced after ready player one, like, yeah, I'm doing this you know, next. I was like, okay, I'm, you know, Spielberg doing a musical. And then I, I heard something in the pre-production that I can't say didn't color, my thought going into this movie a little bit and it's on the end credit too i mean it's boom it's right there that spielberg was doing this because this was his dad's favorite musical growing up and it was it so it became his growing up and he said you know if i'm going to do one of these i mean that was my it's almost like he's he's sort of like our friend kurt fabish now who just accepts challenges because he's done everything else you know so somebody said well you know you got to do a musical steven And he's like, okay, fine. And if I'm going to do one, I got to do my favorite one. Right. And when you're Steven Spielberg and you've got that kind of clout and you've made that kind of money and you have that kind of Oscar, you know, just you get them dropped on you like Meryl Streep does, you know, at least nominations, I guess you get to do what you want to do. And yeah, here's a hundred million dollars from Disney. Go and make uh, your West side story movie. And so he set off to do. So I knew that going in and as far as like anybody else, like I I know who Ansel elcord is from mostly from the Divergent movies I've seen him in and some of his right. DJ work oddly enough. Um, I did miss the part where uh, like he had some uh, unfortunate news come out that may or may not be accurate, you know whatever. Uh, but I didn't know anybody else in this until I saw Mike Face. In the screen. And I was like, Oh, it's the dear Evan Hansen guy. It's Evan frigging Hansen. Um, and then his dad shows up as the, uh, the uh, Krupke later uh, from dear Evan Hansen. But I didn't know anybody else. Um, I Googled uh, Rachel Zegler afterward and found out she was a YouTuber and promptly asked my 13 year old niece, do you know who this is? And she said, Oh yes, she's awesome. And I was like, well, that's all I need to know. And so I knew nothing about any of this going into it other than it's Spielberg doing West side story and I knew he said you know we're going to specifically cast latino latina actors for those roles and uh we're going to we're, we're going to we're not going to change the period but we're going to change a little twist on like why there's a turf war in New York and I don't know, but I I knew there wasn't going to be much else changed other than the choreography was going to be totally different than any of it. And I had seen a stage version of this, kind of like a high school production before. And yeah, and Lynch just made a face at me and I'm like going, did they really change that much? I don't know. We'll have to talk about that. But Jerome Robbins declares that it's all new. And I'm like, but I've seen that dance before. I, I don't know. So we'll get into that as we go. But that's what I knew about this going in. And. Uh, You know, Mike, we had a really good discussion about Spielberg for about the first 40 minutes of the Ready Player uh, (laughs) One episode is that, um, which is cool. Um, And I... I tend to be a little more forgiving of him because I am kind of in the bag for him but I won't sit here and not tell you that his schmaltzy approach doesn't wear thin a little bit sometimes and I I can see a movie of his coming like I can see the poster and I'm like I know exactly like I haven't seen the Lincoln movie I don't need to I kind of know that story like I know exactly what this like there's no reason for me to ever watch that I know exactly what it's going to be Daniel Day-Lewis in sepia tone trying to win yet another Oscar and that's pretty much what that movie is from what I understand Um, also Lincoln gets shot spoiler alert um so i mean i knew that i, I didn't need to know anything else i was just curious to see how spielberg would handle a musical and if they would try to do anything different with it and we'll get into that in, in a bit but i, I want to talk about tony kushner who's doing the screenplay adaptation this time because i wasn't aware that that was happening either until i saw it and Lindsay, you and i exchanged some texts about it so you've got some thoughts on on dear tony as it were
2: well i was i was excited i Love Tony Kushner. I think he's a brilliant playwright. I think he's an excellent screenwriter. And it just so happens that he's one of Spielberg's favorite people to work with. So it makes sense that they would link up for this. And Tony Kushner being, first and foremost, a playwright, it he is an obvious yeah. choice to help write the screen adaptation for West Side Story. But... I have nothing but very deep respect for him just Mm -hmm. as a writer in general. So that is one of the big reasons why I was so excited going into this movie.
0: And he did win the Academy Award for Munich and was nominated for Lincoln. And I'll I'll sit here and tell you, Munich's a powerful film. It's not one you can watch just on rotation because it asks you to really feel a lot of harsh reality. But it's really well done. And the script makes it great.
2: Yeah. And my first introduction to tony kushner was with his angels in america which i think mm-hmm. is a lot of people's first you know first encounter with one of his one of his pieces but i think that's yeah. probably one of his biggest so yeah. well maybe not his biggest but that was definitely his launch pad so
0: for sure and spielberg's bringing back Janusz kaminsky a longtime cinematography partner to shoot this and so this is somebody that worked on BFG. He's worked on Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan. I mean, he's he's been a, a frequent collaborator of Spielberg. Um, John Williams not part of this, uh, oddly enough. Uh, but you know, Spielberg's worked with other other uh, music directors from time to time, and um, so I think they got the New York Philharmonic to do a lot of the music for this, which is, I mean, you can hear it, and it it's. It's a faithful adaptation of the the original score, I would say. Um, I'm a big fan of that score. Um we just lost Steven Steinheim, you know, not that long ago. And so um this is, you know, something that kinda of put him on the map lyricist wise, but this is definitely a Bernstein score and you can feel it throughout it. And um you know, as far as and I don't want to do too much of comparisons to the old movie, but as far as that goes, like that movie lives in a space that we don't make movies like that anymore and we don't live in that time anymore. And I think that was my most curious question going into this is not only why I do this, but. Can, can you do this story and and keep it in its period and anybody still care? Like the Romeo and Juliet story will live on forever. Clearly, it's it has. I mean, even friggin' Twilight did it. So everybody's done it. I think Simpsons has, I don't know, nine or 12 episodes on it at this point. So it's always something. <laughs> uh, South Park's probably done some strange twist of it too. Now that I say that. But can, can you do the West Side Story story? Today, and it still resonates, Spielberg will double down and say, though, it's even more resonant nowadays. But I'm like, only if you want it to be. And I think that's one of the twists about West Side Story that has always surprised me is most of the time musicals, even when they're dealing with dark subject matter. Irina and I talked about this on the Dear Evan Hansen review. They kind of leave you with a lift at the end. They want you to go up and spoiler alert for something that's almost 60 years old at this point um, or even beyond that at this point. This ends in a real dark place. <laughs> like it is not a happy ending. This this movie and this story isn't. Um. So I'm I'm curious as to I don't know how well you guys think it resonates still nowadays. Yeah,
1: that, that, that's the thing. Like we mentioned, like why West Side Story? And I guess this might go into a little bit of a rant about Spielberg. Like so. Like earlier, you uh, you were mentioning like Spielberg wants to challenge himself and. And I think that's like that's that's very noble to challenge yourself. But he does it with a a very established, well known story that is over sixty, almost seventy years old now. And it almost feels like okay, that's the blueprint. That's what we're working with. And like, let's let's ebb our little pieces into this like story. And what's frustrating to me is like Spielberg can make something new. Like he has that clout. Rightly so. It's not just, like, the name. Like, he actually can – he is a talented filmmaker. And he can make an original piece. He just chooses not to. And that's, like, the frustrating part to me. You know, here we're getting themes of, like, gentrification and then, you know, still continuing those themes of, you know, poor white people, you know, poor minorities. They're fighting – like, they're fighting amongst each other. But it's, like, are they really the enemy? Like, they're just – like, do they have anything to fight for except this, like, this block of this grid of New York City? And – it just feels like it's been done. And that's, and, and one of the, the things that Brian and I were talking about in this conversation, well, the conversation post movie was I was the idea of challenging. And I brought up the comparison of Paul Thomas Anderson and Spielberg, you know, hmm. Paul Thomas Anderson, you can watch all his, his films from, you know, well, heart eight or even, you know, coffee and cigarettes, Magnolia to now um, with, uh, well, Phantom Thread but Liquor's Pizza coming out which I haven't seen at the time of this recording but you know you can see a clear maturing of a filmmaker someone that is you know going from his coke binge days of Magnolia to this like very slow matured filmmaker with films like The Master, Phantom Thread but they're all different and he challenges himself you know something like The Master and Phantom Thread you know character studies but very different in their approach to subject matter Um, and then you know even going far back with, you know, Hard Eight, Boogie Nights, and Magnolia. Like, they're all, like, Coke-filled ben- binges, but they all tackle different different subject matters. And with Spielberg, I'm trying to look back, and, yeah, I'm just like, ha- when was the last time you, like, truly challenged yourself? Like, maybe Munich, but, um, you know, Lincoln, that. like, lit- <laughs> but that was over, like, 16 years ago, mm-hmm. and – and Lincoln, ob- I think that I think it works obviously for for who he is as a filmmaker. Like he is an older man; he's just trying to tell this like slow story of some of like a really historical person, and like it works in that context. But it is really long. Um, however, here I'm like, if you you want to tell a story of you know gentrification of you know minorities, oppressed people, it like that's a story that can work. And he just doesn't, you know, there are, there are, especially in today's age where, um, with just everything going on, the, 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 um, the political movements that we have, there are writers that can write about this stuff. I've, I've met people just in like the Philadelphia area that are like, kind of like struggling bohemians, like Jonathan Larson types that, you know, have these stories that they tell cause they live it. But mm-hmm. he, he chooses to retell a story that was told, I would say like, arguably in the film context like near perfectly in the late fifties, early sixties. So that's, that's kind of me going in immediately after this, like kind of frustrated that, you know, did he challenge himself? I would say not really, but there are things I do appreciate that they were able to wiggle into this, uh, this, this piece to make it like both contemporary, but also like, I don't say timeless, but you know, we can still talk about it.
2: I think it was probably less of a challenge for such an established director than it was just him paying homage to this musical that, Jay, I think you mentioned was his father's favorite musical. And he really wanted to dig in and kind of give it a facelift because, yeah, the first movie was great, but it did not age well. No. <laughs> yeah, some in a, in Puerto Rican face. Yeah. Ways, yeah. There was a lot of brown face in that movie. And Let,
0: let's say this, though. I, I want to jump in just real quick on that, though. I understand that, that that's a fair criticism of it, but let's be honest the access to brown actors and Latino actors and things, it just wasn't there. Like, even if they'd wanted to do it, they couldn't have done it. Back then, so I'm not giving those people a pass for that. I'm, I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying, like, I hear that, but I, they they weren't around. Like, there wasn't a David Alvarez to go get and do that, you know. And now, now there are, thank God. But that's that's one thing you, you got to look at with those kind of criticisms is that they, they couldn't have done any of that back then. It just wasn't there.
2: Right, and that wasn't necessarily a criticism as much as just a statement of it hasn't aged well. Like, yeah, it's true. It just, yeah. you know, you're not gonna. You're not going to sit down with your family and watch that movie. How are you going to explain mm-hmm. <laughs> some True. of those makeup jobs to like a 10 year old? You know, yeah.
0: my my niece um, would not get that. Yeah. I right.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. I think and I I could tell throughout the movie that or at least it felt like throughout the movie that both Spielberg and the choreographers, even though, uh, you mentioned that choreography was going to be quote completely different. It wasn't (laughs) really, it wasn't really different. (laughs) Um, but for me it felt like, okay, they were, they were paying tribute. They were trying to stay as close to, as close to the original as they could, but give it, some kind of new life to make it more relatable and more engaging for a more current
0: audience one thing i know they did is they stuck a lot more closely and tony Kushner is really the credit for this to the stage script mm-hmm. the 1960 yep. movie softens a lot of the stuff particularly the sexual innuendo and some of the harsher language they don't really curse as much but you know what i mean like some of the 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 swear words and the racial swears and things like that. Those are the sixties movie sort of softens and glows that just like it does the makeup on people. The stage play doesn't do that. It goes there. And, and yeah, so they they leaned more into that this time, which I appreciated because I, again, I'm a fan of that, that musical and the, and the play part of it and everything like that. So I like that. And I kind of noticed it as well.
1: And that's what I was going to ask. Like I have never seen the stage production of West Side Story just the film so like I was looking at it from that perspective so like were there any like what were the key differences uh because I, I did appreciate how this film really yeah. stuck to kind of like the ugliness of racism and prejudice mm-hmm. um I, I I did appreciate that although it did seem a little bit more like glossed down and like toned down I did at least appreciate you know some of the you know the racial slurs they were thrown at each other just like really it's, easily.
0: It's all in the stage script. Mm-hmm. It's all there. Okay. And and even like the jokes, like I think Anita at one time gets on Bernardo or one of the other uh, sharks or whatever and says, you're calling them a this and a that you're, you know, a spick saying this to a cracker or whatever. Now you're truly American. You know, like that's a joke in the, and the mm-hmm. play and uh, the play part of the musical. And I personally, they kept that kind of stuff in. So it's all there. Like the, the biggest difference I noticed in this one, it was, they just reordered some of the songs. Um, yep. to, and, and reset kind of where they happen. But I mean, again, that that's part of like every time a, a production gets redone, that's part of why you redo it is you want to set it in a different place. The funny thing about this to me in terms of like being an adaptation of Romeo and Juliet is that the thing about Romeo and Juliet that nobody ever seems to really remember? Is that those are all super rich people. The Montagues and the Capulets all have money. And the yeah, twist of this is like, ain't nobody got nothing <laughs> in this movie. And they're not. And, and they add on the layer this time of the the New York Housing Authority, all that stuff of the gentrification, which seems to be a much more modern sort of take. Because that I don't remember that being a part of any of the original stuff. <laughs> it was just turf war stuff.
2: Yeah. I liked that spin that they did. And I thought that, again, that was something that they smartly put in to make it a more relatable movie for our current times. You know, that's something that's very prevalent in a lot of cities. And I think a lot of people mm-hmm. can recognize like what they're trying to do there. So.
1: All right. And it seems like we're getting really uh, we're starting to encroach upon like the plot and talking about that. So, Jay, why don't we uh, get into the plot summary before we get really into our details?
0: It's 1957, and the recent New York Housing Authority's notice of intentions to relocate the neighborhood's Irish-American and recently moved in Puerto Rican communities from the area in favor of a high-rise gentrification has only escalated tensions between the residents, especially the rival street gangs, the Jets and the Sharks. in Tony, founder of the Jets with his best friend Riff. See, Tony's trying to go straight after a year in prison over assault. And he's working an honest job at the old Doc's drugstore run by Doc's widow, Valentina. He cares for his friends, but he doesn't want to get dragged back into the turf war that Riff and the Sharks leader, Bernardo, are intent on settling at a rumble. To complicate things, Bernardo's young sister has moved to New York to live with him and his girlfriend, Anita. And as she's trying to make her way in this new world, she falls in love with Tony, whom she meets at a local dance. Tony and Maria pledge their love for one another, knowing that their relationship will complicate things. So Tony and Maria decide to run away together, but not before Tony is to intervene at this rumble, hoping to stop the violence. And this backfires horribly as Bernardo and Tony trade fists before Riff and Bernardo engage in a knife fight. Bernardo stabs and kills Riff. Tony, in anger, stabs and kills Bernardo. And the rest of the gang scatter as the police arrive. The police turn up the heat. Anita pleads with Maria to break it off with Tony, though Maria insists she still loves him, even though she knows he killed Bernardo. And Anita goes to Docs to tell Tony, tell where to meet Maria so they can run away together. However, the remaining jets assault her before Valentina finally intervenes furious. Anita tells them that Chino, Bernardo's friend whom he tried to set Maria up with earlier was so angry after the rumble that he shot and killed Maria. Tony learns this lie and believing it true runs through the street, seeking Chino and asking to die himself, but he sees Maria running toward him. Not before Chino appears and shoots Tony in the back. Tony dies in Maria's arms and says his goodbyes and Maria threatens to kill all of them, but can't force herself to pull the trigger. We see all the remaining jets and sharks gather together to take Tony off the streets. As Valentina leads Chino to the coming police and Maria walks off into the night and, as credits roll. And did I mention there's a bunch of singing and dancing as well? That's the story of West Side Story, as it were. So we've uh, we've talked a lot about the why um, in the prelude to this. So I just want to jump right in with you all and get thoughts on the cast and particularly our two big leads. And I want to start with Rachel Zegler because she is our introducing. Uh, as I mentioned before, she's a YouTuber. I don't know her from anything. I've watched several of her stuff now. I understand that she was good but the one thing i knew going into it she had already passed one big test because Lindsay texted me and says the girl maria's voice is just perfect and then i heard it and like halfway through the movie i pulled my phone out like you're not supposed to do and i but there was no one around me so it was okay i was gonna say and, and the, yeah we, we will talk about the box office in a minute but yeah there was no one around me and so i text Lindsay, I was like you nailed that because this girl can sing she i thought she had incredible presence for a first time you know, real actor or whatever you want to call it.
2: Oh, 100%. She definitely had like the silkiest soprano pipes I have heard in a very long time. I think the the better I have not heard a better voice since I saw River dance, And I don't know if you've ever seen River Dance live, yes, but they have. also have singing and it's yes. the most beautiful vocals I've ever heard. And that is what she reminded me of. And I could just eat it up. I can't, I can't sing like that. I can sing just not like that. <laughs> and so I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely a, envious and, and I can recognize a spectacular voice when I hear it. And she definitely had it.
0: Yeah. I really, I really dug her singing. I thought she had good Comedy and timing and things too, of playing the frustrated teenager who, you know, she took care of her father by herself for five years in Puerto Rico while her older brother was in New York trying to save up enough money to get her to come on. And then she turns 18, she comes there. And what we find out about her and what you'll know about everybody here is everybody works a hard job. And I think I've mentioned it on previous podcasts. I have had a lot of weird jobs in my day. And one of which was being a commercial cleaner. So I understand what Marie has to do every night, um, and just what what that's like. And uh, but I also get how you could actually pull a singing dance number off doing that because once you get into the routine of doing that, nobody pays any attention to you. You can just go and do your thing. So I was having like a moment watching that, but I thought she she had such good presence with everybody. And particularly because Ariana DeBose that they put opposite of her for Anita. I don't know her from anything, but boy, what a powerhouse. Like I walked out of this going, she really stole the movie from underneath the leads when you weren't looking. And Anita's a big role, but she was fantastic. I loved her in that. So Mike, real quick thoughts on, on Rachel Zegler and then uh, Ariana DeBose.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, she crushed it. Um, I think I even uh, was kind of liking her presence even more than Natalie would. Um, and uh, I mean, we all know that Natalie Wood was dubbed by, uh, I believe it was Marnie Nixon in the original. So, like, I, I know Natalie Wood sang, but they said, no, it's not good enough. And then they dubbed her. And, but here, I definitely felt like the spunkiness of the character. Uh, like, when she says, oh, you know, like when, when Bernardo was talking to Chino, saying, oh, like, she's a bully, like, she's gonna, you know, she's gonna, she's strong and And you see, you actually see that and believe it. So, yeah, I thought she crushed it. Um, I'm not, I can't sing. I'm not much of a singer, but I love music, uh, even though I haven't like studied it or classically trained in it at all or really any musical background. But I love listening to music. And, you know, she's got that, you know, that voice that I immediately was like, yeah, this is, this, this works. It's perfect for this role. Um, And as far as Anita, yeah, she also definitely surprised me in how much she, yeah like you said stole the show from our from our leads here um she was definitely that core and i think it's also some of well at least from what i could understand like that wasn't in the original um she added that that like humanity to the role or like to the to the story that needed it as well as you know the theory and the fire at the end of it um so i yeah i loved both of them uh i i they were probably my favorite of the entire cast, and we'll get to uh, I guess the Jets in a moment here, but uh, yeah, as, as far as these two, I they were phenomenal,
2: yeah. And Ariana DeBose is a powerhouse uh, actress in musical theater and on Broadway as well. She's been in a lot of Broadway musicals, including Hamilton, um, and a number of other things, bring it on. I think she was nominated for a Tony at one point. So she's, she's familiar <laughs> with the, mm-hmm. with the sing and dance and act routine. Um, and you can oh, yeah. really see it. I mean, it shines. She shines very brightly throughout this yeah. whole
1: film. I'm glad they hired um, professional, like th- yeah. people that have been on theater and they yeah. didn't pull a La La Land just to get butts in seats no. because that would have really taken me out of the moment.
0: I mean, yeah, having Brian D'Arcy James as Krupke and then Rita Moreno as Valentina, which is a new yeah. character created for this because the Doc character is the, is the sort of older mentor. And they play it this time that Doc is dead and his widow is kind of running the old soda jerk store. They create this this person for it. Rita Moreno is the original Anita. And mm-hmm. so but it was a very different presence. But th- we should say, like if anybody had influence on this for Spielberg, it was Rita Moreno because When he got her to sign on, she didn't just sign on to do this part, which she liked and thought was a neat twist. She, she, her voice that you hear her song, that's from on the set. They didn't record that in a studio. Like she did that straight that day. And, she became executive producer on this because she showed up every day to like coach the actors and coach them through like, here's how to do this. Here's what, you know, this is supposed to be. And, you know, and just really give them a, a presence of sort of why this matters. And growing up as a Puerto Rican American during that time, she had like life experience to share with all those actors. But I'll, I'll say what you said to Mike, I appreciated the fact that they got these, these Broadway actors. You know, I, I mentioned Brian D'Arcy, James, Mike faced as, as riff again. I, I'm, don't know his name like I should, but the second I saw his face coming out of that that uh, you know heavy equipment where he's making out with his girlfriend and he starts singing the jet song, I'm like, oh yeah, that was genius. And then you know David Alvarez has been on Broadway and done tons of you know work. And you you go down the cast list if you know Broadway, you, you, these people are all over it, and they will be for years. And you can see why because. It, it's one thing to take an actor and most actors can do some version of singing and dancing. Like I, Lindsay, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think they kind of just, you, you sort of have to do a little bit of all of it at one time or another. Um, and you just Sometimes. get better at some, uh, some things. You get you know, good at need.
2: faking what you can't do.
0: Right, exactly. Right. Um, as, as we've talked about in La La Land. <laughs> so, yeah. not, not so good at faking what you can't do.
2: <laughs> True. Well on stage but, it's much easier mm-hmm. to fake than it is mm-hmm. on film. But on yeah. film, you get multiple takes. So,
0: exactly. yeah. and editing, yeah. and <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and, and that's the thing is like you say on stage, particularly as a part of an ensemble, if you miss one thing, you know it, and your director knows it. And
2: maybe a couple people in the audience will notice yeah. it, but
0: if they're watching, but most people are just absorbing all of it through all yep. of their senses and they're they just get taken out of it, you know, and um. And so, yeah, you can hide a little bit better. And they did a good job of mixing in the, clearly the people that had done a lot of Broadway with the people who didn't and haven't done a ton of that. Now I think Corey Stoll has done a lot of plays and things like that. And I love him as shrank. That's a part I love. And I thought he played that very evenly because that shrank part can come off like a very ham fisted, super racist jerk cop. And he's, really not written that way. And Stoll wrote him played him very straight. His his job is to do one thing, to try to keep crime down as possible while they rebuild these buildings and then he's going to get transferred somewhere else. That's his whole gig in life. And you don't get to be a police lieutenant in New York without knowing how to be political in a lot of ways. And and I thought Stoll, having played a lot of politicians, I mean probably the most famous turn is on House of Cards. He's amazing on that show. Um Played that really, really well. And you put him opposite of Krupke and and Brian D.R.C. James, who has such presence and is so much fun uh, as this little, just frustrated man running around. You know, it's kind of like if Joe Pesci could sing and dance, this would be this man. Uh, And he does that. They had good chemistry together and worked as characters. David Alvarez as Bernardo is amazing. And and that's the thing we should say, like, Ariana DeBose, him, Rachel Zegler, they don't talk like that. They don't have natural accent. David Alvarez is from friggin' Canada. So he probably says more like Mike than anything else. And you don't know, yeah. hear him talk, but they, they did the good affected. And there's, there's a difference in, like you can tell real actors that know how to do this stuff when they can put the accent on and it just slips through and you don't like, I don't wonder like, Oh, how are you faking that? Like it, they just really do it. Probably the, best example of that i ever heard the guy that played spike on buffy the vampire slayer i had no idea he wasn't british until like years after the show was over and i heard him talk i was like you're from california holy god that was good like so david alvarez did a great job of getting his accent right and then i think the you know he is latina i think uh, remember many members of the sharks are latina actor latino actors and and you know, it's just natural for them to speak in their natural tone. But um, I thought he did a good job of affecting that without making it too busy, if that makes sense. I, I really
1: appreciate the level of complexity that that they're bringing to these characters, especially, you know, characters that were just like plot development people like, you know, they were there in the original and maybe the stage. I haven't seen that, but definitely from the first film, they were actually getting like a deeper layer of context to this conflict um, especially I feel like the sharks really get like uh, really heavy uh, context and development through this film uh, jets sort of do, which we can talk about that. But I feel like I really do appreciate that the the minority group of this film is is getting that more added context, you know, being um, Puerto Rican Americans in the 1950s, 60s mm-hmm.
2: um,
1: having to go through like, and then assimilating through um, into this new land this um, this new environment that is also changing around them and, and like people that were quote-unquote native are also having to go through very similar but different struggles um, but yeah I and and all the actors really like they're all at the top of their game they do really bring out that uh, that complexity and the development throughout this film and I really do appreciate that
0: Now we got to talk about Ansel Elcourt because (laughs) I think we're at that point. If I take a big breath, I'm going to say a compliment before we get into, I get into critiquing him because I do have some, some critiques. There are times in this when he's not singing and his singing is fine. I, I always, I told a friend of mine coming out of this, that like the singing in this ranges from fine to really good. Like there's nobody that's just bad, you know? He's definitely on the fine end, and it's one of those, like, we're going to get him through it. And even though I know he's a DJ and stuff, I don't think that's really the same. It doesn't translate. See, if you can sing and then you can sing show tunes, that's a different thing, kids. Uh, but he he has a presence, though, and it's in his face a lot, that reminds me very much of a young Jeff Bridges. If you've ever seen, like, The Last Picture Show and some of that early stuff with him, maybe even something like Tron, which is a lot more of a dramatic movie than people remember it to be. He has some some presence and some character about him. And there's things he does at parts in this script that make me really dig his Tony and like it. And then there's things he does <laughs> where I just want to hit him in the face <laughs> with the board because it's the. I, I don't get it. it. Am I wrong here? Because I feel like it's like that, that's the best take you had of that. Like it was, there's just so much like wooden non-emotive response to highly emotional things that i i just i guess i wanted more out of it than than i got from him so i I had some problems with the the tony here
2: ansel actually looks very much like the original tony um in in the 1960 whatever west side story um Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure if that may be part of why he was cast. A lot of the main actors look very much mm-hmm. like the original actors. Um, mm-hmm. If for, if I'm not sure if anyone else picked that up. But, you know, I agree with your assessment, Jay. There are some very uh, face-punchable moments that he has. I think, though, to... Huh, Tony's also just... and. And Romeo, if we're going to bring up Shakespeare, Mm -hmm. they're just not great characters, period. Like they're impulsive and uh, I can't I can't find exactly the words, but I mean, it's like the lead guy and the lead woman. Are not always the most complex characters. You're going to find the complexity in uh, the supporting cast
0: most of yeah. the time. It's it's a it's a thing that Romeo and Juliet in a lot of ways speak to each other in Hallmark cards. Um yeah. That's what I, yeah, I mean, it yeah. Is, and, and people have criticized like George Lucas built the you know, love story of the Star Wars prequel trilogy off of what he thought Shakespeare was, which it means he cleared the cliff notes of a <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, because that's really how that comes off uh, with the way Natalie Portman uh, is, is going on with uh, uh Hayden Christensen, who are both fine actors, but. Not, not doing it that um and they knew it was garbage at the time too so they'll, they'll both tell you that because george doesn't write yeah. dialogue but th- the same here and that surprises me because tony Kushner can write very good emotive dialogue and it's not like it's not there in the source anyway too it's all in how it gets delivered and the way these two kind of moony eye at each other that's part of the stories that they're they're dumb kids and they don't you know, they're thinking all with the feels and none with the, you know, the brain. Well, their
2: prefrontal cortexes are not fully developed yet, Jay.
0: This is true. And particularly in a boy who's been in prison for a year. So let's just put that out there. Cause as a, a former young man, uh, I can tell you, um, you don't really have your brain together till you're probably 30. Sorry, Mike. Um, so I mean, that's just, that's how it goes. Um, but, and, you know, and that's part of it. But, and I get that. And if you just sort of conceit that as, okay, that's just, you know part of being a young boy that's fine then there's what the performance was which does feel very and i mean this in all respect very high school musical and i don't mean the 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 movie high school musical i mean high school emotive let's do footloose you know kind of thing it it felt like that
1: yeah and Mm -hmm with Anzal Igor. So he's very okay. You know, I think, so he, (laughs) that's a great way to say it. Yeah. From, so the original Tony, uh, I always took it that he plays this like happy go lucky, like very, like he's excited that he's like, he's turning a new page in life. He's like kind of getting out of the gang life and you kind of hear that. in just how he's singing his songs, you know, with, um, like something's coming, uh, you know, Maria, like it they're always like even just how he always has this like dreamy look, like, oh, what's what's going on, man? You know, with with him and um in Riff's first interaction where they're just like smiling, like, oh, say Uncle, and it's like they're just like paling around. Here, I'd say Tony is like played way more seriously, which I guess makes sense with the context of going to prison. He's 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 seen the like psych I don't want to say psychotic, but just that like violent uh, nature come out where he almost killed someone and he's like come to terms with that. And it's, well, I guess not maybe, Uh, but he understands that he's a dark side and I think that could work, but then it, it, it's just very, I think it's inconsistent in this movie and also like speaking of his voice, it's, I I like his voice. I think he can sing. It's just not in this movie. Um,
2: And paired next to his counterpart of Maria, oh, yeah. it she just outdoes him <clears throat> tenfold. He's very,
1: he's very like soft-spoken in his voice, and and you know, I, I what I always envision like Tony is supposed to be like literally singing from his chest, belting yes. everything, like his long his love yeah. for Mar- for Maria, and you know, you know, something's coming is it's not bad. It wasn't, I think like the setting also kind of, you know, we, we took this, this big, like open number or like the soundstage and it's alleyway in the original. And then we've like shrunk it into this corner store for editing purposes, I guess, which I'll get to the strange editing and blocking of this movie. but, um, but it's very, you know, it's soft-spoken. He's, hitting more, I guess, lower notes than higher. Like when he's supposed to be belting, he's going, I guess, lower and it's more like, I honestly it reminded me of Frank Sinatra when he first started singing. Like this kind of like low, like jazz loungy type um, singing. Lounge,
0: that's the word, yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, and then, you know, I thought it worked in Maria. Uh, Brian, my brother thought, it. And I, he had the other, he had the opposite reaction where he's like, yo, sing from your chest, dude. And I was <laughs> like, eh, I kind of like the moments where he's, where he's like, you know, uh, say it soft and it's almost like praying. And he like nails that like really like soft spoken singing that I don't think a lot of people can nail. But then, you know, the whole character is supposed to be belting. Um, so, yeah, it was very <laughs> OK, I guess. Like that's like it sounds like a really like backhanded compliment, I guess, especially as your lead of this film. But, uh, yeah. I, and yeah. Like, other songs, I just thought it was just like, Oh dude, like tonight yeah, but- I thought was not good at all on his <laughs> yeah. side. You're like, Oh yeah, dude, the whole,
0: <laughs> the whole soft singing thing. You're not Matt Berniger from the national dude. Like you, you can't do that. Like this, it, and I realized that that's probably all he can do. That is what he can do. But I'm with Lindsay. You pair that against Rachel Ziegler and just those beautiful angelic notes coming out of that voice. And then this big dude is just kind of lumbering these notes around and it's uh, it's not great. It would have worked in La La
1: Land, not in this movie.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, neither of those leads could sing. That's why that worked. Yeah, exactly. (laughs)
2: Well, the other reason why it would have worked in La La Land and not here is that I can understand his choice of being a little more muted as an acting choice because of Mm -hmm. he's trying to keep a low profile. He knows what he's doing is wrong. He feels all these feelings, but he doesn't know how to emote. And that is how he's playing it. And on film, that – works really well. That subtle emotion works really well on film. And that's what we're watching is a film, but we're watching a Broadway production on film. And in a Broadway production, the bigger, the better. And it just doesn't match up. So it would have worked really well in La La Land. I agree 100%. It doesn't work here because it needed to be bigger to match all of the other performances.
0: And I think it's everybody else's bigness too. Just looking at the other male performers, Bernardo is very big. David Alvarez is not a big guy. Ansel of is a big, tall dude, you know, especially by Hollywood standards. Yeah, yeah. by Hollywood standards, they, even, he's a they make, they, they, they make yeah. reference of it at their first meeting. I even yeah. like the
2: yeah, you're really tall. Yeah
0: she pretty much says how's the weather that, up was, there yeah. i think that was something from like the like the casting stuff like they made a joke about it and they decided to keep it because yeah. it, it was cute it was a meat cute and it works in that and if this had just been like your standard issue ensemble rom-com which there's another one coming by the way um if y'all didn't know if it was gary marshall that would work the problem is is that these are characters that have established arcs and there's a whole story all this stuff and it doesn't work and then it doesn't match the the bigness of the other male characters. You know, I talked about Corey Stoll plays it low because Shrank doesn't sing. He is a spoken word only guy, but, and Krupke doesn't really sing either. though he just kind of dance around and do a lot of stuff because Brian, DRC James can do that. But you got Mike faced and David Alvarez in particular are so big and face oh. is a tall guy too, kind of a lankier guy, but he's so big and he's got such a big voice and he just can really belt and all that stuff. And it just, when you pair it, even pairing him, um, when, um, they have the the fight over the gun um, pairing him against Elkhort. It just doesn't like there's like you, you're listening to one of these guys during the cool song is what I'm talking about. Mike face clearly knows how to do a Broadway performance and get it on film where it's doing the thing that you would, you would experience in a theater. It's so big and, and you see him do it and it just comes off and like, you can see Spielberg and, and everybody just eating it up, you know? And then you've got Ansel Elkhort trying to match that. And he just doesn't know how to. And and it's not his fault. It's just not how he works. And so – could they have cast better? Maybe. I don't know who that would be. I, I don't know how you, you fix that unless you go with somebody, again, who's from Broadway that nobody knows. And that's the problem is you've got to have a star to hang it around because you've you've attached your lead female, your big female, to the unknown. We're going to break somebody um, who's already more famous anyway from being on YouTube and, by the way, has made a lot more money than this movie's made on YouTube. Um, so, you you know, you're trying to mint her, as it were. You got all these other, you know, supporting characters who are Broadway, you know, uh, experts and and uh, well seasoned, and then you put Ansel Elgort in there, and it's it's just the piece of the puzzle that, like, by itself is fine. When you add it to the rest of the recipe, it just doesn't mesh. Well, and that's the frustrating part because I think the big
1: name is Steven Spielberg. Like, he still yeah. ha- like, he's one of those few directors that you see that and people are going to go see it just because of his decade, decades spanning filmography that have, has literally changed cinema in every regards of that work, yeah. the blockbuster, the dramatic, you know, anything like he, he is the period piece. He has changed cinema. So he is the stuff, like his name is the star. He is top build. Steven Spielberg presents or the Steven Spielberg West side story or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's frustrating, where it's like, you can do whatever you want, dude. You know, you can cast that unknown person because people are, well, you think people are still going to see the movie because of Spielberg. Um, you know, people, you know, you can take all these big risks because if this movie bombs, guess what? They're still going to hand Steven Spielberg a $200 million check to make whatever the hell he wants. So yeah. that's like the frustrating part because like you've you've had this decade-spanning, Clout that you have worked your ass off. And now it's like, oh, let's just like challenge ourselves with a musical, but like also play it safe at the same time. And like, so I, I don't know. I think that there's there's very little excuse to say like, oh, well, we need like, like La La Land. I get it. I don't agree with it, but I get it. But here it's like Steven Spielberg is the star. Uh, yeah, like, we, his name can bring everyone.
0: That's an excellent point. And we should say, we didn't, we didn't mention it at the beginning. This is a hundred million dollar movie. So for Spielberg standards, that's actually kind of cheap. Uh, in a lot of ways, but it only made fifteen. And I know it's the holidays, and we still are dealing with COVID and all of that stuff. But y'all, the new Halloween movie simul released on Peacock for like five bucks and theaters, and it made fifteen million dollars in an hour. Like that, like that's that's not good.
2: I think that was actually one of the bigger mistakes of the release of this movie was releasing it exclusively in theaters. From yeah. a business perspective that's probably was not the right move at this particular point in time.
0: Yeah. And I wonder if they made that decision back when they didn't, they didn't account for the idea of like, they knew variants are going to happen. We all know that, you know, virology, that's just reality, but you didn't know how impactful that was going to be, particularly on the fact that this is aimed at an audience younger than even any of us. And, those people are not going to theaters. They don't go anyway, but they're really not going right now. And the older crowd that might have been attracted to this because they saw it when they were kids or whatever growing up, is they're sitting around going, why, why even do this? You know, they're asking the same question you're asking, Mike. Like, you can do all that and this is all you want to do? Like, they not they're not into it. So who's going to see it? Because I can tell you is, who was in my theater, it was me, and there was a family of of Asians in town. And I know they were Asian because the, I got to talk to them afterward. They were in town for somebody's, like, two people's graduation in the family. It was the whole fam, y'all. We had grandma <laughs> to, like, cousin, and it was a, they were having a blast. They loved it. And I'm so glad they had a good time with it because it was me and them in the theater. That was it. And, but I was like, who's going to see this? And I asked the people at the theater because I go there all the time. I'm like – have have people been going to this? And they said, that's a large crowd for that one. And that's why it's stuck in this little side. (laughs) And I knew something was up because opening weekend, the Steven Spielberg movie, it had the IMAX screen, which nobody was going to see by the way. And it had the little theater across from it, like across the aisle from it. And I mean, maybe this thing might hold a hundred people in it. And I thought, "Mm, this is saying like the studio knows too. And I think you're, you're onto something, Lindsay that, they could have thrown this out on Disney plus for like premium for a couple of weeks. And I think people would have paid it 10 bucks. Watch that at home. Sure.
2: Honestly, swing it through prime. I mean, make it available, but people have to buy it or whatever, you know, they have so many options right now, too many options to not take advantage, but they didn't take advantage of it.
1: Well, this is definitely this connection of Spielberg, which we've talked about where he is not a fan of streaming platforms. He's a, he is like part of the um, the church of the cinematic movie-going experience, which I would prescribe to. However, these people aren't – like these filmmakers, the David Lynch, Lynch's, the Spielbergs, um, they're not doing anything to change it, to make it better, mm-hmm. which is frustrating. Yeah. Um, I mean I know Spiel- – we've talked about it. Spielberg has gone on being like, oh, yeah, like streaming exclusive films should not be non- nominated for awards or Oscars, which like <laughs> Bad that <news>. – like, <laughs> <laughs> that's whatever. Like that's what he yeah. says. And as a member of the Academy, I mean, I think everyone's like, yeah, 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 whatever, Steven. But um, but that's the problem. And and he's I guess he's gonna die on that hill, and then you know, no one's gonna see these movies. And one of the films I watched leading into this, I watched a few musicals, uh, some old, uh, some new. Actually so I I'll just list them. I watched obviously the original West Side Story. I watched Jacques mm-hmm. Zeme's uh Umbrellas of Shorberg and Young Girls of Rocheford, and just just you know, just some really classic. One of my favorite musicals of that era. Uh, I also rewatched *La La Land* for the perspective of the modern musical. I'm oh, sorry, and you put yourself through that
0: again, man. <laughs> so.
1: Well, I also watched *Tick, Tick Boom*, the mm. the new uh, Lin Manuel Miranda directoral debut uh, film about Jonathan Larson, and I absolutely love that movie. And I'm and it seems like a lot of people are. It's generally very positive reviews, and I would be very curious. And that's ex- Netflix exclusive. I'd be very curious to see if that got released. What would happen? Because you know Jonathan Larson, with everything with Rent, I think he's still a very popular. Um, I mean, Lindsay, you might be able to comment on popularity of Jonathan Larson more now. Um, but you know, I, I I I thought with the character of Jonathan Larson the play of Tick Tick Boom and uh, Superbia as well, like pairing those in the same, uh, in the same film. And then the electric uh, performance from Andrew Garfield and all the supporting cast, as well as like the really amazing direction of the entire film that, you know, is what I want to see in modern musicals. But Spielberg chose to, instead of do anything like original or adapt something that was popular, that may be more contemporary, he chose to do this. So that's like, uh, that's the last I'll say about that. But um, yeah, it's like, who's seeing this movie? And I think it's, it, 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 and it's fit. I don't know. There's lots of different things we could go why it's failing. But yeah, that's, that's the frustrating thing. Because I just saw a, a new modern musical. And it was awesome.
0: This is why I'm, I'm pretty sure, though, that in your NPR reference earlier, Lindsay, is one of the many things I've seen where critics adore this. I'm sure this is going to be another one of those Oscar nominated and it probably will win awards. Movie that doesn't make any money. That is just another in that long list of the critics love it. But, but I'm curious why critics actually do love it, because the difference between this and the 60s one is that the casting is just more true to life. And is good, but the story's the friggin' same. In fact, it's more raw now, which is you would think would be more problems for people, but it's not. And I don't, I don't know what the, what the what is, you know?
2: I could see it getting an award for costumes.
0: Yeah, Um, totally.
2: And there were some really great uh, cinematography directing moments as well that I think really stood out to me. There is... Uh, this moment like at the dance where they um, I think everyone was dancing around Maria and Tony, but Mm -hmm. they were basically standing still and it wasn't a time lapse or anything. It was just, everyone was dancing so fast and them standing so still made it look like a dream sequence, Mm -hmm. which was a really cool effect. I thought, Mm -hmm. and there was the gunfight we had talked about a minute earlier was very, that was the first thing when I saw it, I was like, that's a Spielberg thing. Cause it looks like a scene in the Goonies.
0: And yes, exactly.
2: <laughs> and I wasn't honestly throughout the entire film. I was not a big fan of the fight scenes. I, the dance fighting never did it for me ever. So I just don't think it translates well. And I feel like with a new movie, they could have done something so much grander mm-hmm. and they just didn't. Cause really fight choreography is just dancing with a little bit more contact and yeah. they just could have done a lot more with it. I thought, but it just, it
0: didn't do it for me. I mean, well, I'm going to you know? ask. Oh yeah. Yeah. Go finish your thought. Jay. I go, go ahead. I got a cramp in my leg. I got
1: to stand up. Oh. <laughs> I was going to, I was going to ask the the group about like the editing of the film and like the choreography of of just like the or or the cinematography I should say because i thought some places it worked like i thought the entire dance hall sequence was really superb i loved the reimagining of their first meeting behind the bleachers mm-hmm. that was like the one shot like there's so many close ups in this damn movie and and that's a, like a big critique i have of spielberg in this film is like he doesn't let so many of the shots breathe and i thought it worked in the dance hall especially behind the bleachers you know all these close-ups it works because it's a cramped space and i felt like i was with them and brian Mm -hmm. brought up the point that they were doing their dance from the original movie and he's like but why frame it like this if and do the dance if you don't see it i'm like well it's an easter egg you know it's it's them doing their dance and and like we'll recognize that and like you know he says oh we watch them like curtsy and bow but we don't see their legs i'm like well we don't need to we need to see the chemistry, like their eyes. The actors, Spielberg is giving the actors the stage that they literally tell their emotions nonverbally through their eyes and like just really subtle body movements, and I, and it really puts us in that moment. I was like, okay, this works. But then, you know, I mentioned something good where we confine it, even like the with uh, Riff and Tony's first meeting. It's in this dark, dingy storage room basement and then we move upstairs to like a dimly lit um like corner store and we're cutting back and forth i thought tonight that the number tonight was the probably the most egregious of this because the whole thing i'm like what why aren't we on a sound stage like why are we not in this big grandiose bombastic fashion and then we get there and it well i mean the dance hall scene was was that that was the first breath of fresh air but then we get there we get a hint of it where these like You know, there's always a spotlight on Maria. You know, we got the top down angle pushing forward. Like, it looks like she's on, like, the Empire State Building. It looks like she's so high. And then uh, he's climbing up. And then they start singing. And we have, you know, close-ups through the grate. Like, the view is obstructed. Uh, Like, every lyric is a different camera cut. And it's distracting. And then there's, like, moments, brief glimpses where... There's restraint where the camera is like a, a look, looking down on a crane, and it has the two of them looking up, and then it cuts back when they start singing, and then when Tony climbs up, you know, we have a really swift camera movement, and it's a wide shot, and then I'm like, oh, just keep it, keep it there, and then we get a close up of both of their faces, just cutting back and forth like over the shoulders, and I just found it entirely distracting because you're not letting the scene breathe. You're not letting like, I'm sure the set was spectacular because I saw it in glimpses, but I can't see the whole, I can't see anything. And I felt like it was like that with a lot of like the fight choreography, which I guess made it a little bit more intense. Um, I thought the fight choreography reminded me a lot of, um, kind of like Coppola's the outsiders, especially in the beginning when they're like painting over the flag. And it just felt like really gritty and like they're smashing paint cans over each other's faces. Uh, like they're whacking each other with pipes in the face. I'm like, damn, that's like pretty brutal.
2: And then they but break it, into pot of berets, and everything's fine.
1: Yeah. Right. So, Yeah. so that's
2: what <laughs> took me out of it. That's why I don't like yeah.
0: it. I, I want to tell. You, I want to tell you what what I, I noticed. But this. I was going to say something. This may be controversial because I'm talking about somebody that's won multiple Academy Awards at this point. The cinematography in this movie is awful, and it's awful because the set direction and the production design is friggin' beautiful. I mean, coming in, the, the way this movie starts, I felt like I was in Saving Private Ryan in some of the sh- you know, burnout buildings and stuff that they have the shootouts in. And then you realize it's in construction zone. All of that is gorgeous. And it's ruined when we put characters on the screen and it's got to be right here, like two inches from their friggin' face. And I, I'm so glad you mentioned that about the tonight number, because I kept wondering, like, how many times did these two kids have to do this? to get or did they just have eight cameras at all times shooting at Peter Burking this and shooting it from multiple angles at the same time because it is cut to hell and back and I I don't get why that is the decision to do. I get Spielberg likes people to emote with with, his, with faces. You're right about that. And that's something in every movie, but the sets and the production in in previous films, just think about a movie like Jaws. The majority of the drama of that movie takes place on a friggin' boat with three dudes, three middle-aged to older guys. So there's a lot of close-ups, but you feel that set. You smell that boat coming through the dang screen. This stuff, I'm like, I'm looking at it, and I'm going like, it looks like something out of uh outtake of Ready Player One is just happening in the background. It just doesn't matter. And it bugged me because I'm like, you've wasted a beautiful set design on lousy cinematography there's even a shot when they're in the church
1: it's just lens flare like they're clo- yes. slowly cl- zooming in and they're singing to each other how much they love each other and they're marry each other but there's the, the the window the stained glass window in the background is distorting the image and i'm like oh my god like and at one point um he moved like, uh, Enzel moves forward and like blocks it a little bit. I'm like, Oh, the camera's focusing. I can see their faces. And he moves back. And then it's just, I'm getting blinded by light. And I just see like silhouettes and I'm like, that doesn't, I'm like, just, just, do a 180 shot of like, do the the, the doorway or something like, hmm. like the, the long doorway.
0: There's one place where all that stuff kind of works and I don't know how they did it because it's a completely different from where it's supposed to take place. The Officer Krupke song which is a total like laugh break song anyway, that was beautifully done. Like mm-hmm. that was yeah. perfect because it is a comedy song. It is great. It was physical. It was fun. They used that little holding area in front of the juvie the court thing. Like I loved that and I kept wondering like why get the rest did the friggin' movie do that?
2: I think that was some of the best choreography in the entire film. It was flawless and they mm-hmm. all just performed it to perfection. Also, it's one of my favorite songs in the whole film. So, or yeah. in the whole show period. So I'm a little biased, but I really thought that that, cause it was constantly moving but not in a way that was distracting or confusing. It just flowed right. really well.
0: Well, all the movements had a purpose. Someone yes. was playing a caricature of a, of a real person. You know, I'm going to be the judge. I'm going to be the police officer. I'm going to be the social worker. I'm going to be the shrink. I'm going to be the judge that says, this is all ridiculous. And, and I'm just going to be me to say like, I am what I am because I choose to be like, that's the whole point of that, that song. But again, it's a comedy song and it, it it's one of those, like, it, there's old classic Saturday Night Live where they really were good at physical comedy and stage comedy and improv with, with um, sets and pieces and stuff. And, Lindsay, you've done some improv, so you know what this is like. It, it, it's the ones that can get it right, and they use the props right. You don't – it doesn't become distracting. Like you say, it's fun. That was fun. Mm-hmm. But then there's so many other times when you, it, the fight, the rumble, is horrendously done. Like, I, I saw that open up, and I mean, I know that Beat It ripped it off, but the first thing I thought of was, like, I just need Michael Jackson and the Eddie Van Halen solo now. Like, that's that feels like a bad remake of Beat It on TikTok or something.
2: Yeah,
1: well, I want to yeah, ask you guys, are you, are you guys, like, feeling the length at this point? Like, I, there were definitely moments where I was looking at my at my watch, like, what time is it? Like, where yeah. are we in this movie? Because – and it's not that the added stuff is, is taking me out of it. It's, it's actually, I really enjoy the added context and the layers and even just, even just like blowing up like big, uh, like set pieces. Um, I I'm enjoying those, but I'm like, just looking at my watch, like, damn, like I, wh- wh- where are we in this movie? I need to like focus and, and, and we'll get to the rumble. Cause I, I got a lot of stuff to say about that too, but <laughs> I'm definitely, I want to ask you guys if, if you're if you're feeling the length, because when I saw the original with the overture, intermission, everything, it's what like three hours, like just over three hours. I did not feel the I did not feel the length when I saw uh, Kurosawa's Seven Samurai, a four hour movie in theaters. I did not feel that that was the sh- the shortest four hours of my life. So like I can my I can sit my ass in a seat for four hours and be fine, but this I was just like. Are we there yet? Like, all right, when's this happening? Like, which is weird because like nothing's changing, but I'm like not into the
0: movie. Only because I knew the musical well enough and had, had watched, I I went and found an online performance of it again too, just so I had it in my head a couple weeks ago. And I kind of know the length of it. And I sort of, I knew they were rearranging songs, but i more or less knew when this song happens, this is about to come. I knew how long it was. So I didn't really notice it, but I'm not going to sit there and lie to you and go like, you know, of all the decisions you could have made, you could have trimmed about twenty minutes out of this, and it would have been okay. I think everybody would have survived. Um, I yeah. yeah, I, I, in my head, I'm asking myself the same question I always ask about length. My wife, notoriously, does not have a lot of patience for long movies. Like the fact that she sat through the Hunger Games movies multiple times was sort of amazing to me because they are kind of long. But th- this, I'm like, I, this is the point where Rachel would have checked out. And this is the point where she'd be like, you're still here. And yeah, because it, it goes on a little bit. But I kind of knew it was going to be long going in. So that was sort of my thought of it. Lindsay, what about you?
2: Yeah, I knew I looked up the length of the movie before I got my tickets because I needed to know what time I was going to the movies <laughs> and how long I could feasibly sit in a movie theater. And I felt the length probably right around the two hour mark or between like An hour, 45, two hours. But then the last, I want to say, 30 minutes of the movie, I feel like flew right by for me. So a lot was going on there, which I feel like
0: makes The one song that goes on too long for me is I Feel Pretty. Because I I get what they're trying to do. They go through so many layers of the department store and all of this stuff. I, I, I just felt, I mean, and she sings the heck out of it. So I, I'm not going to dog the performance. I just felt like that one could have been trimmed a little bit. I like the somewhere. Not a great song. It's not a great song either. No, it's not. And it, it's kind of a silly one, especially when you give a boy like that. And I have a love and you slam them together the way that it's supposed to be done. That's such a powerful song, but it does feel like they are rushing it. And I'm like, you just, uh, you, you're supposed to step over each other in that song a lot. I realize that, but, let that breathe because that was the other thing too is that they're having that argument in that apartment and there's like two times when they pull up and you see sort of the, the length of it of where they are and you realize how small of the space it is. But so much of that is it shot right up under their nose and uh, it's, Oh God, it just it took me out of it. But I, I would have rather that song go on a little bit longer than I feel pretty to go on for another minute and a half than it didn't need to. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So I guess we can get into the rumble, because yes. I, 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 liked like the reprise of tonight. I did like the build up. I was like, okay, like, here we go. This is like a huge moment that we're, that in like cinematic history, we're building up to how can you, how, how do you handle this? How do you handle this? And um, I definitely have some choice words for it <laughs> in that so we get there, like it's great great setup. you know we have both the gangs. I really do like the top down shot of of every of everyone walking together, and in
0: the salt like the salt res- reservoir mm-hmm. for the sanitation department, I thought it was a nice choice. I like that like you know how yeah. they, they arrived at like that actually looked like a cool set. They did nothing with it, but it looked great,
1: yeah, i yeah, I was expecting like i said, I was almost like after that opening like fight when the when like the two gangs clash, I was expecting almost like I said outsider level. Violence between like like angsty like young adults like I was expecting like people to be like their faces thrown into the sand or into the salt or like them throwing it or like incorporating it into the fights or like someone gets hit and then they like th- literally pour salt into the wound like I was kind of expecting a little bit more gritty and then nothing happens but uh, when we have uh, Tony and Chino come in which is you know an interesting I like again adding more like Chino is the character that gets the most development out of every like. Out of every like two dimensional character, now we have like more added context and layers. And we actually like kind of feel for this guy. He's not just some nameless person that has to that gets a gun to shoot Tony just because the plot says he has to. Um, so I like how like they both go in, and then you know I, I kind of like how um, Tony uh, how or how Ansel Igor tries to literally just try and be like, hey, I'm sorry, apologizes, tries mm-hmm. to settle everything down by being like soft-spoken and quiet. But then he gets punched a few times and he just goes buck wild on, on Bernardo and they fight. And that was when I started the turn because I remember in the, at least in the, in the movie I love how Tony was just so like emotional and desperate, like pleading, like guys, please don't fight. I don't want to fight you Bernardo. And even like he's getting punched and beaten around and he's refusing to fight. They're even throwing him back into the, into the circle to fight and here now tony taps into that dark side and he just like he wins he wins the fight he beats the shit out of bernardo and then you know that moment of oh my god i'm back in this moment and he walks away and this is where spielberg doesn't have that restraint to just let the shot linger because i noticed it just like when when he's walking away tony's like breaking down realizing he tells it in his eyes that, oh my God, I'm back there. And he's, and and maybe he even promised uh, Maria that he'd stop the fight. Then uh, Bernardo, you know, was trying to pick the fight again. But Spielberg doesn't linger. So we can't see how broken up Tony is about this. And then the knife just falls on the floor and then they just pick up and they start knife, knife fighting. I remember one of the first time I saw West Side Story, at least bits of it, I was like eight or seven or eight. My mom was watching it. And it was right at this point in the rumble. And I will never forget, like, that moment when Rust the you know, he gets accidentally hit, or he gets, I forget the context, but he gets hit by Bernardo, and he just rips his jacket off and pulls out a switchblade, and that glinting light in the blade, I remember at that young age being, like, not having context of what's going on, thinking, oh, like, shit just got real, and <laughs> yeah. maybe not exactly that, but I remember, like, thinking, like, uh-oh, like, what, and then I was, like, so in impacted and then even further in the original you know tony's like pleading like guys no don't fight he's even trying to jump into the fight and they're throwing him out and that makes uh and then that that makes it when a riff gets stabbed in the original so impactful because you know they're dancing around you get stabbed and and then uh, you know tony picks up the knife and really impulsively in an emotional state stabs him where in this movie I didn't get that impact because there was no knife glint. There was no, like, uh oh. Knives are out. Like this was supposed to be a fist rumble, and now like weapons are brought. It didn't help that everyone showed up with chains and bats. Well, they do
0: and- have they do have that bit yeah, earlier where they, can, they, they kind of agreed that like we would go to at least like bats. But what the the you know riff and his guys are like these guys are bringing blades. We know that you know they, they're dirty Puerto Ricans whatever. They always have a blade, and so he he has this whole bit where he buys a gun in a bar, and you know he, I'm bringing a gun because I know they're gonna have you know I'm I'm going one one level above. They're gonna have knives. I'm gonna have a gun, and that's that's the whole point of you know tony trying to get the gun from him and and he ultimately does and it gets kicked out and thrown away you know because it's no part of the rumble i think the problem that i had with it mike is that 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 you knew the knife fight was coming it's that when it happens it's just like and now we go with knives and it's there's no like emotion to it yeah there's no dramatic and i'll tell you in the stage too like it's a big deal when the knife comes out like it's like you know like the music hits yeah it's like it's just nothing yeah. Like people can die. And and that's
1: like when Riff gets stabbed here, I do like how it was played here where he's just like in such disbelief. And then even just the quiet tone of, okay, just, just pull it out. And then he dies. I thought that was like, um, like faced. He plays it so well where he's like, Oh, okay, this happened. And, and then when he just picks up the knife, you know, <laughs> Bernardo just lets him come over. I guess he's in shock too, that he actually went through with it. But You know, he, Tony slowly picks up the knife, slowly walks over and then stabs him right in the chest. And I just didn't get the impact of the moment here as I did in the original where it felt like it was such an emotional, like this felt emotional, but it wasn't so sudden because I literally just watched Tony beat the crap out of this guy, like get on top of him and like, you know, like fight club him. Like he stopped. Well, he stopped because he realized how monster he was, but I just didn't get the same impact here. It just felt like a beat that we had to cross off the list. And that's that's not a good sign because this is such a impactful moment in the story in the and in the film. And I just felt like, oh, okay, here we are. Check, check, knife hat knife fight, Bernardo's dead, Riff's dead. And it's just that's really so underwhelming.
2: i have nothing more to add to that (laughs) (laughs) excellent excellent assessment
0: (laughs) (laughs) the impactful part of it is the very end of it when they all run away and the cops show up and they pan from the you know down to the top and there's just the two dead kids laying there Mm -hmm. it's like that is the tragedy and they needed to linger on that a little bit more and i'm with you when tony kills him, he should do it in a fit of absolute rage. And he just mm-hmm. walks up to him like, okay, as dead eyed as Jason killing another, you know, teenager in part eight or whatever. I mean, it's just the same sort of like there was nothing there. And th- and that's not a singing problem, Ansel Elkhart. That's an acting choice. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean by like there's times he does stuff and I'm like, why would that be the take we would go with at that moment? Cause you needed to be overwrought with emotion. Because later on when he's with Maria and she's beating the crap out of him basically for doing that, he's like emoting like crazy. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Let's get back to that, that scene like? too. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, where did you, why did you not like do that when you killed the dude, man? Like, it, I don't know. It just seems so, I don't know. It's so perfunctory. This is how I felt about all of it. And, and that's, and that bothers me because that scene is so cool and so impactful in its not only original form, but just in the way it's written. And the way it's done, and it just in this it just feels so flat like all the way, and that bothers me too, because again, David Alvarez and Mike faced have carried the emotional weight for the male side of this movie entirely, and now they are both literally dead on the screen and <laughs> I'm like, where's my emotional resonance guy because porcino is is supposed to be the opposite like he's the other coin of Tony he's the Puerto Rican Tony he was a guy who has a past that he has overcome because he's educated himself. He's trying to be straight or whatever, but when it pushed come to shove, what happens? I mean, he picks up the gun. He, he goes, you know, wild and he goes wild with jealousy and it costs him and then at the end you see it on his face you know and but they don't give anything i mean they finally give that that character something to do and they give him a story and they don't linger on any of it that's that's the other part i'm like for all the two hour and 40 minutes we're lingering here you could have given that a little bit more of a minute than what it got because i had to fill in the blank for a lot of that to happen that's just me knowing the story to know that (laughs)
1: yeah and and i guess like the next so then we have like i feel pretty uh another point that i didn't really i don't i don't think i brought it up i do like the the culture that's infused into the story like i i really love how the uh, the spanish speaking characters speak spanish and there's no subtitles yeah. so i don't speak spanish so and i'm assuming most of the people that had seen the movie or seen the movie don't speak spanish either and um but so you have to infer through acting what is being um, conveyed and I can pick up a few words and knowing the story here and there, but I, I, and they, and they know when to, I guess, you know, for the non-Spanish speaking audience members, when to, you know, drop the phrases in English. Uh, so you can, ki- if you're not following what's going on and just through like raw emotion, you can, okay, you know, you can figure it out. But we, you know, we get to Maria in her apartment, you know, like distraught over the death of her brother and Tony is just standing there, you know, in there and she's, you know, you can't come in, you're a killer, you're a killer. Beat it or you know, punching on him and he says, "I'm going to go to the police." She collapses and and grabs the jacket and says, "Well, if you do that, I'll never forgive you." And like for turning yourself in as I took it. And then and then they proceed to sleep with each other. Like full yeah. on like have sex with each other, which <laughs> like even for like Romeo and Juliet, like that's bizarre. Like that is super bizarre. <laughs> like, I and I just remember in the original movie, you know, she, you know, they, and they like have a kiss. They have their tender moment, like, oh, like, we'll still run away together. And then Tony runs down the street and Anita comes in and says, he killed your brother. But not like post-sex do they have that conversation. And it's like within like 30 minutes of her, of like her brother's like not even cold yet. And, and they're like having sex with each other. Like even I was like, whoa, like, cause then we're singing, um, well, we're, uh, well, uh, Valentina is singing the, the song summer. that was originally, yeah, yeah somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, we, <laughs> we cut to them, like making out on the bed and like taking their clothes off. I'm like, this is like a double take moment. Like, wait, 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 this isn't, I'm not seeing this, right? Like I can understand if they're like cuddling and they're just like both emotionally distraught. But they go full like physical with each other, which is very an odd choice to go with. I don't know I don't know if that's just me, but that was very bizarre.
2: I don't know if it was that bizarre I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you there I think and I <laughs> let's see I'm not let let's just ride this train for a minute and see where it goes <laughs> but <laughs>
1: Think- oh, I'm on board. I'm strapped okay.
2: in. I'm ready. <laughs> we're going to crazy town, everybody. Strap in. <laughs> but we're dealing with two very emotional, very impulsive teenagers who think that they are in love, who have both just been through a very traumatic experience. And emotions are like at above sea level. <laughs> and. And they just kind of ride the emotions into post pubescent sexuality. And that's what's going to happen when you get these crazy kids who think that like there's nothing else outside of this world besides, you know, this other person.
0: I, I'm going to come down the middle of this. I hear what you're saying. Mike, <laughs> but I'm, I, I'm more on Lindsay's side of things because I, I'm going back to Romeo and Juliet. Romeo's cousin gets killed in front of him, and he gets really distraught about it, and he goes and he sleeps with Juliet again and i mean it's like it's part of the story it's not in the original like what the original movie west side story because in 1960 man nobody slept with each other lucy and ricky were in separate beds how they had a kid was anybody's guess right you just didn't do that so obviously we're gonna push that in here and you know they didn't push it real far because it's still incredibly tame i mean you can see more on a cw show goodness gracious um you know and so it, it's still pretty tame but i get it it's overly emotional teenagers who think they're in love and all this stuff is running wild. And it's like, we got to do something with all this emotion. It's going to go into each other. And that's literally what, I mean, is what going on. So like, I, I get that. I didn't, I didn't even blink at that. What I thought was a neat twist on it is Anita walking in and like how she's sort of like on your side, Mike, she's blown away. Like knowing you like make out with a dude, but I look at your bed girl. Like I know what's going on in here. Like it was, what, is what are you doing and i think that actually gives good movement to their double song together and that's Mm -hmm. what makes that that work like the emotion of that all drives i I was okay with that i want to jump back to one thing you said though about the the spanish to english and all that stuff that was a a conscious choice that spielberg and kushner made was that we're if we subtitle it then we're we're dishonoring the Spanish language, which is not what we want to do. We want to give that presence, but it's in the script. Like originally that the characters, particularly Anita is constantly telling you other people like speak English, use your English, you know, and then the cops do it too. Like in English, you know, all the authorities in English and it's not a we're better than you thing; it's a I don't understand you and I need you to communicate with me thing. And so, but when they get their emotions running, what do they do? They roll into their natural language. And I appreciated that. I don't know Spanish well at all either. I can pick a word you know, here and there, but when you get a real Spanish speaker who can really rattle it, like it's fast, that's a fast talking oh. language. And, and that's the fun part is to watch them get into it. And you realize like, I'm not catching any of that, but I, still follow what they're talking about. Like I, I enjoyed that. I thought that was a nice choice and was, and was a good thing. And it's not a, it's not because it's the political correct choice or whatever you want to call it. I actually think it's a good, like it's a good cinematic choice. Challenge the friggin' audience. To, you don't need to know what they say. You, it's not, it doesn't matter. Like I'm going to be on Christopher Nolan's side. It doesn't matter what anybody says anyway. It's how they act it out that matters. And I I appreciated that. I thought that was good. Um, the fact that the two crazy kids ended up you know getting it on after some tense moments, I've seen it happen in a lot of movies. I'm not surprised. That's that's all I'll say.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I, I hear your argument. I <laughs> It's still been pretty bizarre to me, but I – I understand where you got what you guys it's are because saying. because
0: you're a logical person, Mike, and you're thinking logically, and you got to remember <laughs> well, these kids are not well, – they don't think logically. So. That, I was trying
1: to remember that. I'm just like, you know, this is Romeo and Juliet. You know, it's it's not about the accuracy of human emotion or or like how people logically react to things or how people respond to trauma. I'm not kind of coming at it from that perspective. It's more just um, – I guess maybe I am a little bit because I even – like I said, even I was like that was – whoa that was kind of like way out of left field because then they like they it's almost like a sex comedy like a teen sex comedy where they like sit up and like his chest is there and she's holding she's like covering her breast and I, and then like oh i gotta go like it almost it almost felt like that but but it's not like oh the parents are home the cops are busting down the party it's oh the cops are trying to find me because i killed your brother and your your brother who remember i killed uh your uh, his girlfriend who just came from the body identification is now walking in the door and I got to get my ass out of here. So they, yeah, I guess I was com- coming at coming at it from a more, I guess, logical perspective, but for the most part, I was trying, <laughs> I've been dissociating like logic and just like, like the theater, <laughs> like story narrative, but that part I couldn't yeah. turn it off.
0: That's true. We need to talk about too, the thing that happens with Anita at the end of her encounter with, with Maria here and after shrank interrogates her and, you know, Anita kind of gives this sort of coded message. Like I need you to go get my medicine from the doctor, you know, all that stuff. And she goes and what happens with her when the jets attack her as it were. And Valentina has to, intercede on that and you know you've got the the jet girlfriends or whatever that try to intercede and they get just thrown out of the building and they're i mean they're going to gang us all her and that is really uncomfortable and pushing and it's yes it's not a 60s movie it's in the script though it's part of the thing um it's on the stage it plays off a little differently they just kind of corner her and you start you can infer what's about to go down the fact that they went as far as they did with it i was like wow they really wanted to push that home and I do think though that makes Anita's sort of footstomp at the end like screw America after I've sang this whole song before about how lousy Puerto Rico is, I would rather go there where I know the gangsters and the villains than here where you hide it all and all that stuff. I I I liked that moment and it's it's where I thought the movie tried to rescue itself because at this point it had derailed for me. I'll just go ahead and say that. And I thought, well, that that was a A neat choice and a a dangerous one. But for me, that worked. I thought, and I think a lot of that is because Ariana DeBose is such a great actor and Rita Moreno really comes in and does a good, good moment there as well. I I liked all of that. What did y'all think of that?
2: I loved it. I thought she had an incredibly powerful line too, which I believe she said in Spanish. Um, but she said, Mm I am not American. I'm Puerto Rican. Yeah. Right before she stormed out the door. You feel her, you know, who mm-hmm. would want to live in that place with those people. But I I did not think that that the choices in that scene were poorly done at all. I'm with you, Jay. It worked for me and it was like the descending of all of the all of those boys, you know, just, and then the other Jets girls like screaming outside was very, very powerful.
1: Yeah. I'm going to, you know, agree with everything you guys said. That was when I thought the cinematography of the close cut angles, like you're there, you can't look away. You're watching and you're, and like everyone is, is also like, no, stop, stop. And I, and I did like those moments with the Jet girlfriends where they're like, they understand that, something bad's going to happen but and they say no get out of here we don't want her kind here we don't want her here but they're standing uh in front of her they're not like on the outskirts like nah just get out like they know something bad is going to happen and they get in the middle of it and then when blows start going even the i i love that little detail when anita and uh the blonde girlfriend, uh, Grassy, or so, when they try she tries to grab her hand yeah and then they rip her hand away throw her out the door lock the door and they start banging and then yeah like Lindsay, what you said when they descend on her and then valentina comes up and says all oh, you like you animals you monsters and then like the back of her dress is unzipped and you're like oh my god and and you know I, then that little monologue of i don't know if that was in the original uh stage Where it says, I've watched all of you when you were little kids growing up and you've all grown into rapists. That's
0: that's added in. Like Doc sort of chides him, but he doesn't do
1: like that. I think was the final like the nail of like, yeah, that like that was all like well executed. And I think that's in my notes. I think I said credit where credit is due. Like the movie doesn't shy away from like the ugliness of like prejudice and racism. Yeah. And um Yeah, I literally have, yeah, you have grown into rapists. That was, like, the final nail. And, you know, some of them looked very, you know, like, what have I done? Like, I think one of the characters was even, like, starting to cry about, or at least it looked like it. Like, kind Mm -hmm. of, like, the weight, like, when the emotion is stripped away, like, just looking down of, like, what have I done? And then they all just run because they're immature children. Um, Yeah, I think this movie does also hit home that, like, they're kids. We didn't mention, like, with the guns, like, you know, we have this really big setup of you know, this, this is a, this isn't a toy. This is a gun. You know, like, do you, like, have you ever fired it? Oh, like a Colt fires 22s. Like this is a pretty small hole, but it can leave a pretty big hole in your head. And they yeah. put the gun against like, they like push them around. And then the scene immediately proceeding is them playing cops and robbers, like pointing a loaded gun at each other, like
0: bang, 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 I'll kill you. They're, they're being kids. Um, like, that's the thing is like, it's yeah. supposed to remind you that they're, they're just boys. Like they have no, yeah. like they have no sense of their, consequences to their actions because all of these guys, and that's the thing about the jets and you really get it in the songs. And I give a lot of it again to Mike face and the way he plays it off. Cause if you're not paying attention to the words, you don't catch it. These guys are losers and they know they are, and they don't think they're ever going to get out of it. They know they're going to wind up becoming the fathers they hate and they just kind of accept it. And it's, you know, it's their fate. Whereas, the Sharks, the Puerto Ricans are working hard to not be the thing that they escaped and that they ran away from. That's the juxtaposition of the two. And it's why it makes it such an impactful story because they, they're both people in the same situation, but one has accepted it and is letting it keep them there. The other refused to and want to rise above it. But when they boil down to their raw emotions, they do the same awful stuff. And, and there's, there's a, there's one bit of that in the doxing. That's great. And it's in the play too, or in the, in the, the original piece about where they talk about how they, they feel bad about leaving riff laying in the salt you know pit. Like they did not get him. They just left him there. And now he's in a morgue somewhere. And like, they just feel bad about it and stuff like that. And it plays into what will happen at the end here with Tony, where they come together to carry him off. in like this funeral procession, if you will. I'm like, they've sort of come together enough to realize, like, this has got to end because we're just, this is all, this is all that comes from it is people die. And this is not what anybody needs or wants. But I, yeah, I, I, I will applaud the movie for going there with the scene with Anita. And again, a lesser actress could not have carried that and made it work. And they got two great ones in there to pull that off. And uh, it worked out well. And then, you know, the thing is, though, she drops a huge lie. And you understand why she does. And she's like, you just tell Tony that there is no Maria coming for him because Chino shot her. And it's like, wow. And, you know, and that's the, you know, Julia has poisoned herself. What shall I do? I sell so, soliloquy for 35 minutes. And then I will, you know, kill myself as Romeo is going to. And he basically just like, just shoot me. Just get, go out and shoot me. And the only thing you've said outside or several times here tonight, Mike. And um that movie's Alley, not good. Yeah. Uh, but there there are oh, two great scenes ooh, in it. Yeah, talk there about two, that because I actually really like yeah, the
1: outsiders. Yeah,
0: <laughs> well, we can come back to it another, another day, perhaps on know, our tours <laughs> or, or, or film strip. But um, there's two scenes in that movie that are awesome. The rumble is awesome, and Dallas's end of that movie is awesome. And Matt Dillon's end in that movie is is tragic and is amazing. And I felt like they told ansel court go watch that on YouTube probably Rachel Ziegler threw it on her phone and let him watch it. And then go do that (laughs) in in the street. And I know this, what Tony does is he runs through the streets yelling, but for a character who, and for an actor who has chosen to really tamp the emotions down so much for him to run through the streets, and just screaming for come and kill me too and all that it just it rang completely false to me i'm sitting there going like i know that's what you're supposed to do you're reading your lines you're doing what you're supposed to do but i don't believe it i don't buy it i don't think that's what you want and i like the original i believe it tony wants to die yeah and this guy the emotion I, wasn't there it's just not there and it's just not there and this and that's so sad because again he's given good bits of performance, but there's a lot of it that's wrong and it's totally wrong here. And so when he gets shot, I'm like, yeah, you know, I mean, like I felt nothing for that. You know, I I've seen the stage production of that and it will bring emotion out of you. I was, You see the 1960s movie and it's like hard to not cry at that. This I'm like, and see. Yeah.
1: I think that scene could have even been elongated, like trim some of the other ones, but from what I remember to the original, he goes around like all the major set pieces and is like, "Gino, kill me!" And like we yeah. see, um, we see Maria. Like they're all like, they're all like trying to like hone in through his voice. Like he's going through the streets, yeah. saying like, "Kill me!" Here he goes like a hundred yards. Yeah, and, maybe uh,
0: right. Like his next
1: door. Like that's this like, wasn't problem. that the whole wasn't that the whole thing? They even say like, "Oh, like if you're trying to find him, like it's this huge." like city turf block area it's that you have to search like it's yeah and it's, you find him within 15 seconds of him finding out that he thinks Maria's dead so i think that could have been even elongated and like bring up the tension of like well i mean even though we know how it ends like who's going to find him first and i think that would have been the, t- the tell of if the movie worked or not but like even though we know how it ends like build up the tension like oh my god is Maria going to get there first who's going to get there even though in the back of our heads, we know how this is going to end. We, there's still like a glimmer of hope, like oh, maybe he gets away, but it just happens in a blink of an eye. And yeah, like you said, and scene, you know, sing, sing your song, like sing your little reprise of tonight and die. And then, you know, take the gun. And uh, which is, this is the scene where I think Natalie would shine better at the ending of like kind of closing the whole, you know, theme of everything together. Um, I don't remember specifically what Natalie Wood said because I watched the movie like a few months ago or a month ago. But obviously, it's like the the idea of what she says here of just like you're going to kill each other for nothing, and you know takes the gun and points it at everyone. I thought it was much more 99 uh, percent of the way. I'm I'm with this this version of Maria until like the final. Scene. Not to say she did it bad or anything. Like it was very is good, but I just thought the original with Natalie Wood was a little bit more there. But maybe that was because it had better build up and I was more invested at that point.
2: I could see that. I I really liked Rachel Zugler's speech at the end as Maria. I thought, and maybe it's because she had been so angelic most of the movie and this was her moment to fully break and so yeah. it felt like it felt like a a bigger character shift so that worked for me and and she was just desperate and there was a moment where i was like oh she's gonna die too like this is mm-hmm. This is really, this is going to be a full, fully Romeo and Juliet is what we're going to see here. And then she didn't spoilers, but yeah, there was but my she, tension right there.
0: She does die inside though, because she does this mm-hmm. great thing with her eyes where yep. she just blanks and you just see like the veil drop and like, she's just dark. Like all of everything that she loves is out of her. Her brother's dead. All right. Her roommate is gone. She doesn't know this at this point, but she'll never see her again. And the love of her life up to that point is dead. All that's happened in a day. In in a day, this girl (laughs) has fallen in love. All right. Her brother, she's had huge arguments with him. He's dead. Another guy's dead that she's sort of run into and knows her boyfriend is dead. She's seen some stuff, and the fact that that Rachel Zegler, again, not a professional actor, whatever that means, like, just totally nailed that. And it, and you just see it, like, it just—it's almost like they, you know, color corrected it. They just dropped the color out of her face. And I was like, that's pretty amazing. Like that was it's a dark way to end. I mean, it's a dark ending anyway. Mm-hmm. But there's a twinge of hope in Natalie Woods' ending, and there's a little twinge of hope in this stage version's ending. There ain't no hope for this girl. Like, I don't know what she became, but it's, there's a dark times coming because we didn't have therapy, you know, for this kind of thing back then, particularly for immigrants. Like this is beyond, we don't have it for them now either, but we, there certainly didn't in 1957 or whatever. And you don't know what she's going to. And, but you just see that her life has literally been destroyed in 24 hours. And it's, it's sad. And it's, it's a very howling ending that this movie does not freaking earn. And that's what bothers me because it's a great moment of performance that is not worthy of the last two hours and 40 minutes I've just sat through. That's what bugs me the most about it.
1: Yeah. Even the delivery of like, I can, I can kill because I can hate like just the delivery of that. I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. That's perfect. Cause like, like you two were saying, like she's a angelic presence and now it's like, the angel's gone. Like now she like knows how to hate as opposed to, I feel like, I, I mean, I feel like Nally Wood was just angry. Like that delivery was angry, but it was also like angry and sad and just like, kind of not so much pleading, but more of just like, wake up. Like, this is a reality check. Like this could easily be one of you. Uh, if you just let this, these petty turf wars that no one will remember, this can be any of you. Like, like almost like yeah tying everything together of this is like the, the 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 story of caught like the the cautionary tale of like what happens when you just are violent for for no reason um unchecked violence but here yeah i just i don't know i didn't really feel earned i mean i i mean i like the moment when they pick him up and uh carry him away as a group but at, and then you know we just fade to black and i was like all right I got. I got a, I got. I'm going I got a conversation in 45 minutes. Let me see if I can get, collect my thoughts, as opposed to just, yeah. as opposed to just like reflecting about what I saw.
2: Is Tony a good actor? I can't tell. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is a great question, and I think it's a great way to end and segue into our final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn <laughs> ratings. So, Mike, Lindsay, what are yours for the 2021 version of a West Side Story? Mike.
1: Um. Yeah. So it's it's like I said in the beginning. It's like perfectly okay. I mean, I guess I went into the movie with pretty. I don't want to say low expect. Let's put it this way. I said to my to Brian, my brother, uh, I'm expecting slightly better than mediocre. So that's like setting the bar really low. Uh, as is. So it was better than that, but like not much better. So I have been really getting into Letterboxd. We talked about it, Jay, um, on on my show. Anyone that doesn't know what Letterboxd is, it's just essentially like a database uh, collection of movies. Uh, People can write reviews. I've been using it, uh, just the catalog movies, as well as just have a database and, and catalog of things I've been watching new, my DVD collection, things like that. And so you rate the movies out of five stars immediately. I'm giving it a two and a half star. So that's like, for me, very like in the middle, like it's serviceable. Like I think a two star and below is like, like kind of bad to like pretty bad. And then like two and a half is like serviceable. Like it did its job. And then, you know, three and up is that thing. But two and a half stars is what I'm rating. And I knew going into that, that was like, well, coming into this conversation, that's where we was going to be. So I said, and beginning like this conversation is pretty much going to dictate where I land on the recommendation because I was going back and forth between either a weak recommendation or a week, not recommend. So go, I guess going with a uh, film strips re, uh, review, I, I'll say, ex- I guess the, it's the, uh, I'll say the popcorn rating is exactly what I had at the movie. A uh, like a, like a small meat, a a medium popcorn. It's, it's not, it's not quite like as bad as like, you know, a small cup, but I don't quite think it's a medium either. So it's like that in between where like the small, like you could put the medium inside, but it's like kind of piling over and you probably don't need, need it, the extra popcorn. So it's like that, that schmedium popcorn. I guess I just recommended a new, I, I just created a new, uh, popcorn rating, oh, oh, schmedium. It's been around a
0: while. Um, Nick coined oh, good. years ago. So, yeah.
1: Okay. I wasn't sure. I, I wasn't sure if you guys had, had coined the Schmedium yet, but yeah. schmedium. It's then, not um,
0: official, but we'll, yeah, guests get the unofficial rules. So.
1: Perfect. So, uh, yeah. So then a two and a half out of five, and I'm going to go, I guess it's going to be whatever mood I'm in. So right now I'm in the, uh, we not recommend mood. Um, it's just, That's just like my hot take after just seeing the movie a few hours ago. I just – the cast is mostly good. Uh, I mean, Enzel Elgord is okay as Tony. Um, I think the performances are pretty good. The cinematography is – it can be good. It's just the editing for the most part. I'd say like 80% of the time the editing just kind of like ruins it. Um, And I I do, like I said, I appreciate the – the unflinching uh, view of racism and prejudice and the effects of that in the movie uh, also was like adding the layers of complexity and development to characters that didn't necessarily have it before, as well as just adding more like naturally injecting culture into a story that is ultimately has a lot to do with culture than I think people realize. Mm -hmm. So, but all that being said, it's just a lot of, uh, a lot of moments that take me out of the movie and, and ultimately the question of why was never answered for me. And, and yeah, that just kind of, that's, I guess, yeah, the answer of why was never answered. So I was leaving that week, not where a week, not recommend in a sh- medium popcorn. <laughs> but.
2: I, I will give it a medium popcorn, but I'm going to spring for the extra butter and which is, I don't know, I guess in between a medium and a large, if you want to, you know, so I, there's not, there's not like a medium for an in between medium and large. <laughs> I'm a large. So, yeah. Yes, yeah, it doesn't work, it doesn't work yeah. as well. Large,
1: large. <laughs> it doesn't,
2: yeah, it doesn't work as well. um A lot of this movie worked for me and I, I knew, I feel like I knew what I was walking into there were some things I wasn't a fan of. There were a lot of things I did really enjoy. Um, the performances of Maria and Anita probably are are the high points of this film for me. Um, and that is probably what got the extra butter. But definitely medium popcorn, extra butter. I think I've said my piece on everything else <laughs> over the last couple <laughs> hours. so.
0: I want to say this movie comes from a good place. Like the impetus of, of doing this, it's from a love from childhood and something a man shared with his father that comes from a good place. And the story comes from a good place too. Let's take some really catchy songs and some really attractive people. And let's talk some real hard truth about racism in America and immigration in America. And let's talk about, Gentrification and some other things. Let's see. Now, that's the newer you know lay in with Tony Kushner, and all of that is fine. David Newman directing this score does an incredible job. It sounds awesome. Again, the singing in this movie ranges again from fine Ansel court to really good. You know, with a lot of those, probably the high point for me. I think Lindsay, you and I share that the Officer Krupke song is just so much fun. Like I would just yeah. watch just a clip of that and just it's a good smile for seven minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. I likened this movie to all of the ingredients from your grandmother's favorite recipe. You can get them all the exact brand, the exact measurement. You might even have her pan to cook the dang thing in. But it's not quite all there because it's not grandma making it, right? That's how I feel about this movie. All the individual pieces in some way or another more or less work. Like I think Ansel Elgort's a really talented performer. I wasn't lying. That whole Jeff Bridges thing, like if he hangs around and can keep doing, he can have a long career as an actor, probably not as a singer or a Broadway performer, but as an actor, I can see it. Rachel Ziegler's a star. I, I'm really interested to see what she does next. And does something not this because that would be sort of fun to look at, and then all these other people I, I imagine will have opportunity to do other things. But I imagine they'll make their mint on Broadway like they continually have done. You know, and they're good for them. But all of those pieces, when you put them together, don't necessarily quite gel. It's like me and my friends in you playing music and stuff growing up would think about like, what's our dream super band? And now as an adult, I realize like. That would never work. Not only because the egos in the room of rock musicians, but just because like it, you can't really put Eddie Van Halen's guitar playing with, like you know Neil Perch drumming. As cool as that might sound, it wouldn't work. And there's just something about all the individual parts here, with the architect of it all, Steven Spielberg, where he can't just quite get it to work. I think he did this as a love letter to again something he loved and something his dad you know really in- infused into him. And that's great, but it doesn't quite work for me. And there's pieces of it I would want to revisit and go back and think about. But ultimately, if I want to experience West Side Story, I'm going to go with the original score. I'm going to go with the original movie even um, before I would ever look at this again. And so I would tell people that are fans of the original that you probably owe it to yourself to see it. Um, just so you can say you've done it and kind of experienced it. But I don't know anybody's ever going to go out of their way to go like, yes, that one. Um, it might be fun in a few years to go back and see what Rachel Ziegler's doing and go like, oh, remember when she was in that Spielberg musical like travesty? Because that'll be the footnote of this. It's probably going to win some awards. I have no doubt it's going to get nominated for a lot of them. And maybe it deserves a couple, um, but it's not a great achievement in in of anything. It's just kind of there. And that is the absolute definition of a medium popcorn. It's all the stuff that could make it work, but it just doesn't quite get over the ledge. It, it uh, doesn't completely fail miserably. So it's fun. It is like, Oh, you could have, you could have been a contender and you weren't because <laughs> you had a lousy left hook and a bad foot and you stepped wrong at the wrong time. And that's, <laughs> that's how, that's really how I feel about the, the movie. I mean, honestly, I walked out of it and I was just like, Hmm, I mean, maybe 15 minutes drive home. thinking about it. I walked in and Rachel says, well, I wasn't, I was like, eh, and she said that kind of says it all and i said yeah that's i mean I, i'm not going to change my mind um and i i wondered you know going through this and i'm glad we had this conversation because i think the three of us did see different things at times and that's always the fun part of doing these kind of things um the, it's funny to me that we arrived at essentially the same end that it's fine it's not awful it's also not transcendent it's 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 just kind of there and you know um as to does this ever answer its why? I agree with you, Mike. No, it does not. Um, but are there some things in it? Yeah, there's a couple of performers that really rise above it. So yes, Lindsay, I agree. Yeah, there. Again, I'm kind of in the middle between the both of you here with this one, but um I just don't think it's all fire. So yeah, medium popcorn for me. But it's been a lot of fun talking about it with you two for the last couple hours. Thanks to everybody for listening, Mike. Tell folks again about how they can follow Amateur Art Tours and all the cool stuff you've got going on over there and what's on tap for 2022.
1: Yeah, of course. So for 2022, the goal is to do one episode every week. Now that's a pretty lofty goal. I haven't planned out, but I, I will, I'll be honest. I, I've been known to say things, plan them out, start them, and then not finish through with the podcast. So my goal is to, you know, stick through that, do it. I th- feel like by talk about it enough, it'll like help me actualize and do it. So, um, Yeah, so that's that's the goal for 2022 is, uh, you know, one one episode a week uh, talking about whether a full feature length film by myself, Brian with guests, of course, um, or like a short film. I know we talked about Alter, uh, the YouTube channel um, on, I guess, the episode with us, Jay, from two weeks ago for me. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, and hopefully I can get some D&D stuff out for you guys. That one I can't guarantee, but there will be movie stuff. Um, so you can follow us on Twitter at AltoursPod. Uh, you can also follow the show on iTunes and SoundCloud. I'm sure there's something else in there, but I'll figure that out for 2022. And, uh, you can also email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at the amateur Altours podcast at gmail.com. And that's all where we are, Jay. Thanks for letting me go. Shout out the show
0: absolutely all that is in the description of the show as well folks and you can follow the show's social media at Pod on twitter and instagram look for Podcast on facebook you'll find announcements about upcoming shows and a link to our letterbox page which has the entire list of all of our reviews they're not in written form but it'll let you know like where an episode is so if you're hunting an episode and you don't want to search through your podcatcher look there uh, or if you want to do like most of the hosts in this show when we're trying to figure out what we're doing next is like have we done that one yet so just go search the letterbox page and uh, it is all there go Go to filmstrippodcast.com. That'll link you to all the places you can find the podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify. We're all there. Please share and rate the show and leave positive reviews as you can. We had a new positive review just out of the blue in the fall of, of 2021. It just made me smile real big. I don't know who you are, anonymous person, but you just said I've just discovered this and I've been binging all of these. And that just warms my heart because there's 300 plus episodes there. There's something for everybody, I promise you. Uh, but we appreciate that. So uh, share the show on your socials as well. Helps other people find the podcast. We appreciate it. Appreciate your support. So for Mike from Amateur Tours and from Lindsay, I'm Jay. Thank you for listening to this episode of Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.